0: Thank you for joining us for this episode of Turf Dudes, brought to you by Harrells. This is your host, Jack Harrell III. Our Turf Dudes are reaching out to industry leaders and game changers to discuss what they're seeing out there. Topics focus on turf health, nutrition, control solutions, and the latest in academic research. You can subscribe to us on iTunes and Google Play Music or tune in directly at www.turfdudes.com. Send your questions to at Turf Dudes on Twitter or by email to turfdudes at heralds.com. Turfdudes is spelled T U R P H D U D E S. In today's episode, sponsored by Syngenta and recorded live at the New England Regional Trade Show and Conference, Dr. Raymond Snyder, Director of Agronomy at Heralds, gets the dirt from Dr. Mike Agnew Sr., Field Technical Representative, and Dr. Mark Kofelt, Head of Technical Services for Syngenta, on three pests prevalent in the Northeast. Annual Bluegrass Weevil, Winter Moth Caterpillar, and Crane Fly.
1: We've got two special guests with us today. We've got Dr. Agnew and Dr. Koflet, And so I'd like to start out by uh, letting you, each of you guys introduce yourself. Perhaps uh, Dr. Agnew, go ahead and feel free. Tell us a little bit about yourself and um, you know, your background.
2: Sure. Uh, I'm Mike Agnew. I'm the Senior Field Technical Representative for Syngenta, covering New England and the Mid-Atlantic States. I've uh, been in this position for 24 years, going back to several companies. So uh, I feel it's the best position in the world. My background, I'm a, I'm a turf agronomist by trade. I uh, went to Kansas State University with Bob Carroll as my major professor. And, uh, so I'm soils and stress physiology st- trained. Spent 10 years on the faculty at Iowa State University in the extension turf grass position and left there for industry and haven't looked back. Excellent, excellent.
3: And I'm uh, Mark Kofelt. I'm the head of the tech service team at Syngenta. And I have a team of very experienced, knowledgeable tech service people like Mike Agnew. So I have four people in turf, and I have three folks in pest control, and one in ornamentals. And I also cover, we have a good business in Latin America, so I have a technical person there. My training's in entomology, so I went to Iowa State University, University of Nebraska, and then Virginia Tech, and I spent eight years at the University of Virginia Tech doing research, extension, and teaching. So, really enjoyed that. Then I joined the industry, and I've been with four of the six major ag king companies, and I've enjoyed my last five years. Yeah, two here more at more to go. Only two more, <laughs> two to, more go. to go. Two more to go. That's right. So, looking forward to it. Thank
1: Excellent. You. Well, we're talking about annual bluegrass weevil. We're at the New England Regional. Turf conference and show, and uh, you know, just in general, how widespread of a uh, pest is this annual bluegrass weevil?
3: Yeah, so the annual bluegrass weevil actually is a native insect. It's native to the United States. It's been here a long time. It's it kind of changed its habits and moved over to turf. So it loves Poa. It can also feed on bent grass, but it's primarily a problem in the northeastern part of the United States. Now I'm from Raleigh, North Carolina. It is found in the mountains of North Carolina now, and okay. so we have some research going on there. So it goes as far south currently as North Carolina, all the way up to Maine, out to uh, Pennsylvania, and parts of Cleveland, Ohio. And there's rumors that it may be moving into parts of Michigan or parts of the Midwest as there's, you know, as poa is more prominent. So it is a northeastern species primarily, but it is probably the most difficult turf insect pest to control.
2: And it's also found in Canada, uh, especially Ontario and uh, Quebec, uh, closer to the state's borders.
1: Now you touched on, you mentioned Poa there, is that the specific turf species that we're talking about as it relates to the annual bluegrass weevil or any other
2: hosts?
3: Yeah, Poa is the primary host, but it has been known to feed on bentgrass species.
2: Excellent. It
3: appears to be expanding its range, Michael.
2: Yeah, when we actually get closer to the mid-Atlantic area, uh, it it is, it doesn't matter what species it is, it's primarily an insect of Poania up here, because there's a lot of Poania in New England. So that's how it got its name, because it was first uh, identified as an issue in Massachusetts, Connecticut area, and uh, it's, uh, still has its home, its roots in New England. In so New England. It's, it is a pola insect, but it will feed. If there's no pola there and they're there, they've got to feed somewhere. They'll feed on, on big grass.
1: Well, talking about feeding, uh, give us, for those of us that perhaps don't know exactly, what do the symptoms look like? What, what When we're looking at POA and it has some symptoms, how do you guys know instinctively that that's ABW?
2: Well, actually, there, there's visual symptoms. It's almost like a spotting. When the uh, larvae start feeding in the crown of the plant, when they're actually still inside the plant, those individual tillers will actually... Uh, die, and you'll see spots here and there, and there'll be a spotting on the turf grass. On fairways, on collars are primarily where we're going to see the major issue, and we do see it on greens, but really because of our, our maintenance practices on greens, it usually isn't a major problem, it's usually on those areas that are just a little bit high enough turf grass so they can uh, accept the population to do the damage.
1: Does it get mistaken for a disease sometimes?
2: It can be it can mistaken be. for disease. I've actually seen people think they have anthracnose because you can get that type of symptom, but it's, you can really pick it out. It's very easy. If, you, if it's a golf course superintendent or one of the fine people in this room that actually work with golf courses, they could tell easily what's anthracnose and what's... Uh, and then
3: maybe what's we should point out, too, the larvae are the ones that cause most of the damage, the third and fourth instars that feed on the crown of the plants. That's the most damage. You know, the adults, when they overwinter, they come out in you know, March this time of year, and they're, they can feed a little bit. They notch the leaves as adults, but they're not, don't cause a lot of damage. But they can feed a little bit.
1: But so we're
2: really talking about the larvae, larvae here. Yeah, right. and it's the larvae. They, they, the adult will lay its eggs right on the in the sheath, and they'll uh, deposit the eggs. And the the weevil will be inside the plant for the first and second instar, and during the third instar, they'll make their way outside the plant, and that's where they're starting to feed right on the crown of the plant. So your target for control obviously then is the crown of the plant when you are trying to give uh, any type of application to give control. Well,
1: set up the life cycle then, so you're talking about the larvae, the adults, when is all this happening? Is this a fall condition, spring, overwintering, is, uh, you know, when is all this happening? Run me through that.
2: In the springtime, well actually in the fall the uh, annual bluegrass annual bluegrass weevil adult will go into hibernation and they are very good hibernators, uh, they live through Extreme cold. Uh, they live through warmth, and they actually, it's the warmth of the spring will bring the adults out. That's where, the over- where are they hibernating? Where are they hibernating? Well, in general, they hibernate almost anywhere that they have a, a, an area to hibernate. But it's usually the tall grass, tree lines. When it's a great area where they can really burrow down. But you particularly
3: like pine needles and pine leaf needles. litter along the edges of the fairways. But
2: so it, you, you can find them overwintering right in the middle of the fairway, and we've no, seen true. early damage that way. So it's It's a misnomer to think they always move uh, because the population up here is pretty high. Gotcha. And then at that point in time, when the the temperatures start warming up, uh, all of a sudden you'll see the Great March. And uh, the the greatest temptation by a golf course superintendent is to spray when they see their first adult. And I would say, number one, if you're going to spray for an adult, wait. Wait till the population gets into a peak level and and give a control. Don't waste the spray too early. All you're going to do is create more of a resistance issue. But the first application is spraying for the the instars that are inside the plant. You use a systemic material like a Celeprin or or a Ferentz, which will actually move systemically in the plant into the xylem and give give excellent control. On the crown-feeding larvae, we have a couple good insecticides like Provant and Ferentz that do an excellent job of killing Ones that are outside the plant because they're feeding on a plant that's been treated with it and they can take it up and ingest. In order to kill these uh, animals, they gotta feed. That's why you really cannot use uh, the systemic materials to control the adults because the overwintering adults do not feed. Do not feed. They're, they're, uh, they only have one thing in their mind, I have a feeling it's procreation.
3: Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but when they come out from these overwintering sites like this time of year, So they they can feed a little bit, but then they mate, lay their eggs in the leaf blades, and that's when you want to do that adulticide treatment. So we recommend our scimitar, which is a pyrethroid. Uh, There is known pyrethroid resistance in some populations, so then we recommend chlorpyrifos as another option. But we found out through our research that it's very important to try to control these adults when they first come out in March, April. You want to get a good dent in the population, so we feel that's critical.
1: So, right now, March, the adults are coming out.
3: Well, well,
2: not, not right now, but any day now. Once any it gets nice, now,
1: once yeah. it's snow Once we stops. get past the impending nor'easter. Yeah, right. Northeast, and, when yeah. that's
2: over. Yes. In order to help the golf course superintendent track weevils, we actually have employed uh, seven scientists across the whole New England Mid Atlantic area to actually track them in certain areas of, the, of this uh, area. And so, like, we have Pat Venom, who's governor from the University of Massachusetts, and Stan Swire from New Hampshire, and Steve Alm from the University of Rhode Island. There are three scientists that are out there as consultants to Syngenta to actually give us the best data that, it, that will help a superintendent make a timed application. So, they can sign up for that type of information on Track on greencastonline.com. Well, that's
1: greencastonline.com. Right. And they'll find the Weevil Track.
2: You can, Weevil Track is one of the options. Select. Then they have to sign up separately for Weevil Track. And you get notifications by text uh, when when they spray. And they also, these scientists will also write uh, blogs every month to give an update on the conditions that's what's going around in their particular area, which gives valuable information to the golf courses in order to them for them to have the best control options how many control options are we talking about during during the during over the season it depends it really depends on the golf course and it really depends on the level of pressure uh we try to target the first generation first because if you actually knock down the population at the beginning that means it's going to be less a little bit later on so if you do a good job Again, it could do an adulticide, and you could do something like a cellaphron for the instar. That application will also give you season-long grub control and cutworm control. And then you could target the third to fifth instar with a product like Ferentz where it's very effective. If you're able to take that population down to which you almost zero, will they still be there? They absolutely will Mm -hmm, mm be. And it really depends on the summer and the stress. If it's a really wet summer and you have a lot of growth, It could grow through damage pretty easily. But if you have a summer that has stress, and I know in Boston and and this Providence area in the last two years, it's been pretty darn stressful in the summer. So we see the maximum damage damage happen when the weevil feeds and all of a sudden you get a little heat stress and drought stress, that turf goes down twice as fast.
3: So we see that usually occurring the first generation damage in June, mid-June, and that's when that... Second generation starts to become active, so then on a weevil track, we recommend another adulticide application with Scimitar. and that's when we bring in our Provant, okay. which is a different chemistry. That's Indoxacarb. So it's, it's good a whole to rotate. Of
2: it's it's, it's yeah. important to rotate.
3: And then Provant, and then we go to Ferris again. So that's a whole different chemistry. Right. So if I could, maybe I can speak a little bit about the chemistry. Yes, so please do that. The uh, it's called the diamide chemistries, and so that's what Ferris Ferenc, and in a are. So completely different modes of action on insects. They affect the insect muscles, and it affects the calcium exchange in the muscles, and they're really ingestion toxicants, so they have to get inside their bodies in some way. And So if you get a good thorough application and you get um, the right conditions, it can be in the turf for the larvae to pick up and get exposed. So diamides are important in a rotation program, and then endoxicarb is another active ingredient in Provant. That's fairly new chemistry, different mode of action. And so we use that in resistance management with this insect between Provant and Ference in terms of using those in the program approach. And a doxicarb affects the um, sodium channels in insects, opposite of the effect of a pyrethroid. So it's a good rotation partner.
1: Excellent. So there are some control options. You want to make sure you're using everything correctly. And I'm sure that you've got some site specific. Uh, methods that you want to you want to consider. I, w- I want to throw a question out to the audience here. Uh, any any questions of uh, you know annual bluegrass weevil questions? Any thoughts on <laughs> control strategies? Uh,
4: v- very informative, guys. Uh, Peter Salinetti from Harrells. Uh, I've been dealing with these things for ever. Uh, first time I saw him was uh, probably 1973 or four up in Manchester, Vermont. At that time, uh, Dr. Teixeira from uh, Cornell recommended uh, Dursban to control the larvae. Eventually, we had Oftenol, then we went to Merit Tempo, <laughs> yada, yada, yada. And, and now we're with Aceleprin and Ferrins and Provant. Uh, in my personal experience, I think a well timed application of Ferrins maybe is all you need if you're scouting properly. Uh, my question is, what's, how long can we expect Ferentz to be effective
2: in the oh, soil? That's a great question. Ference is, uh, from the research we've done, gives you about a 28-day control, right? From the application, it all depends on how you fertilize it. If you fertilize too much and you start growing it out, it is systemic, it will move into the plant, and can be the best way it's gonna be removed is by mowing, right? So if you're if you're growing lush, shorter control. If you're actually keeping a little bit lean, it'll, it'll last a long time. We did some summer studies where we did the June application and tracked it out 35 days on certain golf courses where we're doing with researchers. But I would say 21 to 28 days is what it's about. When you compare it to other larvicides out there, that's probably the longest control you're going to get. The half-life of ference is 41 days, so. That doesn't, that's the half-life is good, but if you look at Celeprin, it's 254 <laughs> wow. days.
3: Wow, so it's a lot different.
2: So it's slower to get in the plant, and, uh, and in uh, the cyan moves in the plant very quickly, and you get quick, quick, quick uptake by the plant, so it's effective immediately. So, there's nice. a lot of things you have to consider, though. Uh, people say, do I water it in, don't I water it in? Doesn't matter. I say watered in, just get it off the leaf to the crown where the insect is. With
3: goes. Ferent you mean? Now Provant is a little different.
2: Right? Uh, Provant, I would probably put it to the crown yeah. too. That's where they're But feeding. we need to get it watered in right. with
3: Provant, right?
2: Yeah. So. And so, then, mm-hmm. yeah, the
3: other thing too is, you know, just thinking about celebrating, you put it down in that April application when the weevil are inside the stem, you get season long control for all the other insects. It does have a good effect on the weevils when they're inside the stem. Yeah. And then Ferent has that 28 days, Provant has about three weeks. Or residual control, too, and again, all different chemistries here to manage any potential resistance issues.
4: Is a celebrin going to give you season long control that early season applications are going to give you season-long control, that, um, season long control of uh, cutworms, armyworms, and most definitely, yes, no problem.
3: Yep. And if you use the right, we recommend a 12 fluid ounce per acre rate for a Celeprin. Some folks go back to, down to 8 fluid ounces, but if you put out 12, that's going to give you a real nice residual.
2: Especially this uh, in this area, a lot of the acetyloprene goes down in early May. So you you have to look at it. Tw- you get two, what is it, a month's control for every two ounces. Mm-hmm. So you do that type of calculation. That's why 12 makes a lot of sense, because your army worm is fall army worm. And we've had tri- uh, application timings with researchers at the... Uh, Early May application given control of fall armyworm in the fall, so it's pretty. It's a great uh, caterpillar control.
3: But you also made a comment too about ferens. You know why we just use ferens and for everything. I mean, it does have some adult activity, but it's not going to give you the control that you expect to see with a pyrethroid. So we still think it's important to have the adulticide application out there.
4: Yeah, I think if I were still a superintendent, you know, my, my approach would be slightly different. I might go with the ference in, I don't know, maybe early June, I don't know, uh, in upstate New York, but maybe I'd kind of keep my powder dry for a while and go with a Celeprin maybe late June at an eight-ounce rate yeah. to carry me through the fall for
2: uh, white grubs. and. And, and I understand where you're coming from, Peter. What I would suggest is you want to move that ferrance application up more toward mid May if you're just using the Ference. Because you're going to get what's in the stem and what's outside the stem, and you're going to get a, a better control and have less potential damage. Because if you wait to early June sometimes, yeah, if weak. you get a warm May, the damage might come before you really want to. And that's why I always say that. Yeah, go I, a bit I've of never it. seen that in the Albany area. I've yeah. always seen it
4: towards the middle of June. But, you know, I agree with you that. I've heard of guys having damage
2: in late May, yeah.
4: you
2: know, so. I, I, but, but I know like was, I say, scouting is critical. Right. I was in Albany Kurt. two years ago, and we well, I can't remember whether that was early May or late May. Late. May, and it was uh, pretty severe damage on that particular golf course, and I know you know the golf course, uh, but uh, at least I know Fred knows the golf course. So well, if he knows it, I know it. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> well, Fred just walked up behind you.
3: Yeah. <laughs> Just one more point, that second generation, that summer, July generation, is what we call asynchronous, so it can be every life stage present. It's just amazing. You can see adults, first instar larvae, larger larvae, they're all present at the same time, and that's why Ferrance is such a good fit, because it covers the first, second instars when they're inside the stem, and then the outside when they're feeding on the crown. So that's. But they're very hard to predict. Their their timings, that's why we have this Weevil track program, and on our website lots of videos how to sample properly and monitoring sampling is very
2: important and that's it, scouting is the most important thing a golf course superintendent can do scout 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 make sure what's happening on their golf course is what they're actually seeing or being told to do so we are a tool to actually help them do that but we think they should do it physically
5: themselves excellent Hey, good afternoon, guys. It's uh, Greg Nickel from Harrells. One question I have, and it's it's actually a two-part question. Um, What do you see as far as being the the biggest difference between today's ABW versus yesterday's ABW? And I mean yesterday, the ABW of the 90s, if you will, and the practices that that, uh, managers were doing then um, as it relates to now. So that's the first part. The second part is, what are some of the, the common, I don't like to use the word mistake, but the, the common hiccups that managers are doing because this is such a frustrating pest that when they see it out there, I noticed we, we, we talked about chloropower first a little, little while ago where everyone's going out and just applicating, applicating, applicating and it's lay, laying down this product. So how is that helping and or hurting uh, the manager by, by making maybe some some rash decisions?
2: Well. I think ABWs years ago, and I have two people in the audience that would know that better than I would. But the key is... Don't call anybody out. I won't. <laughs> <laughs> But the bottom line, years ago, it was a little bit easier. Mowing heights were different, like a little bit higher. Uh, they could sustain more damage. Uh, maybe we were watering more. Uh, I guarantee that. But the other thing they were doing is they were putting down pyrethroids three to four to five to six times. I was at a golf course, put down eight pyrethroid applications. You think they can have resistance? And that's the thing that changed. The whole game is when resistance started happening on golf courses in first in Connecticut, and then started spreading it on golf courses all around. That's a game changer when you get resistance. And so we have to manage them so we don't get resistance, right? And so to me, that's the biggest difference. The other big difference is we're seeing, it used to be just Poenia. We used to call it Hyperodes. Didn't have a special name for it. And you can find these insects in almost every state of the United States, but they're really an issue in the Northeast. And it's it's an issue where because we've managed it, maybe mismanaged because of so many pyrethroid applications, we've created a situation that makes it harder to control because when you get resistance to one chemistry, you could possibly have cross resistance to another. We have some great researchers like Dr. Kopenhofer working on this uh, at this very instant to look at what chemistries can we have in the future. And companies I know that like ourselves are looking at new chemistries to go on to the future. We, we need more chemistries for the control. Different chemistries, than diamides, different chemistries from neonicotinoids Different from pyrethroids, we need a, a new chemistry to control adults, because if you can knock the adult population down, they don't mate, right? So, so I know that's a that's a, a big target for Syngenta. I'm sure it's a big target for other companies.
3: Yeah, so you hit it right in the head. The older days, it was you had organophosphates, and you had pyrethroids. That was about it. Yeah. Now, in today's market, we have the dimides, we have endoxicarb. Hey. We Peter also mentioned have, some of the older you know,
2: chemistries. So. And,
3: yeah. and we still have Dialox, right? Dialox is yeah. being used. And some of the other chemistries are still with us, But plus the new chemistries we have. And then, you know, we, we know Conserve is a very good product from Dow. And that's Spinoza. That's a different AI altogether. Right. So that works very well, too. So we talk about the other products that work well in our program, and that's one of them. So yeah. again, another new chemistry. So I think the newer days, we have more chemistries to choose from, which is a good thing. And as long as we manage it correctly and people don't over-apply the same product all the time and try to rotate their chemistries, we'll be in good shape in the future years to come. And we have a very exciting new insecticide coming. So we excited about its potential use in ABW. So we got, I know our competitors have the same thing. but. Like Mike mentioned, it's very important to have this new mode of action chemistry coming so we can keep ahead of that resistance curve.
1: What will be the role of that new mode of action chemistry? What's what the timing? Where would it fit in well, the program? Well, I can't
3: really say anything about it right now because it's top secret. So I'm trying to, to get you. it out of you. here. <laughs> Nobody's listening, I promise. That's right. Just it's, those it's, two people. It's, it's, a, year. Yeah, it's a couple <laughs> years away, so we're, I'd be too premature to talk about that. Just that we have one, and uh, it's going to be a nice fit.
1: Excellent. Any other questions from the audience? Any, uh, you know, Mike Duquette's sitting over there. He's an ABW uh, <laughs>
2: guru, guru right
1: there. Mike, you want to share some of your strategies, AB, ABW control? Mike Duquet with Harolds. <laughs>
6: Mike, du- Mike Duquette from Harolds. Um, probably That's the cool. first person to in the field find resistance and create it. We, were, we created a lot of the resistance, <laughs> unknowingly. Yeah. The thing w- people don't realize about weevils is some of them live two to three years. So they're always there. So if you don't think you're spraying an adulticide every time you spray an insecticide, you're wrong. They're there every time. I agree. So people that think, oh, I only use pyrethroids two or three times a year. Well, you sprayed the same weevils nine to ten times because they live two to three years. So we had resistance before we even knew what resistance was. And why people would continue to try to spray adulticides is beyond me, because they're already resistant. If they're not, they soon will be. So hopefully, if you have a new compound in development, I'm hoping it's not an adulticide because the weevils have metabolism, that they'll break down any active ingredient. And the better it works, the quicker they'll get resistance. Um, There's even research where the weevils don't feed at all out of their overwintering stage prior to laying their eggs. So you could have non-resistant weevils not die because they didn't ingest the active ingredient right. so you can have res- you can have failures on susceptible weevils in the first generation of control because they would never ingested the product so it gets real complicated um,
3: yeah, you make some great points the adulticide thing is something that's been in debate with many people over the years I mean we know that some populations, we spray pyrethroids, we can get 85, 90% kill.
6: But and the those 15 that live, correct. when yeah. they lay their eggs, now you have... And you've built it even worse. Yeah, you yeah can build so up you're over creating time. A, a trap that you fall into. Um, that's the part that we've... And Ferrance has been a godsend because it's not an adulticide. So the adult can't metabolize the product and then create larvae that are resistant to... That's the, that's the fear, that if, they meta- if the adults somehow are able to metabolize the active ingredient in pharynx and then lay eggs that are resistant, and then you have larvae that are resistant, and then you sprayed pharynx and it w- didn't work on the larvae. But hopefully that day is a long ways off.
2: And the good news, Mike, is we're actually working with uh, Rutgers University to actually test that theory whether or not that can happen. So it's, uh, it's one of those things where we're very cognizant of resistance and it's just like I am for disease. I am the same way with insects. And I agree with you. Uh, you don't want to make a problem worse. I mean, you- have,
6: has Syngenta ever thought of providing the end user with plates where they could put adults down for the people that well, continue great. to that's use a, pyrethroids.
2: That's mm. actually a nice option, that's actually a good
6: idea. And just put a plastic yeah. plate underneath the scimitar bottles yeah, so that you could put the adults on top of them when you spray and pick them out of the field. And, and if here you I spray used and they don't don't die, of a pat. <laughs> if you spray and they don't die, you know you got a problem. True, true. So that's, a,
2: that is, that's actually a very good idea. And the person right next to you uh, probably could actually write that down and send it to his replacement. <laughs> it's right there in his it's mind. in his
3: head, yeah. <laughs> Smart young man. Uh, but, yeah, that, you make some great points, and we're aware of those, and we're glad to be working with uh, Rutgers University on the resistance thing. So we're trying to get ahead of the curve, and we're incorporating our new chemistry early on so we can see what that's yeah. going to do in some Thanks. of the research trials. So.
2: It's, it's, my, it's my goal for the time I have left working in life, is to actually prevent resistance from happening with chemistries because we we have gone too long and lost way too many chemistries to resistance. And so you and I are talking the same talk for the most part. And and all of a sudden, I keep telling people resistance is an issue and we need to have more of a a dialogue, more of a dialogue with all the TURF researchers on this. and, And we will have that.
1: I think, thanks to you guys and your collaborations, and the, the the topic of resistance is is more prevalent, more mainstream now than it's ever been. And I oh, think, as a collective industry, mm-hmm. we're all doing our best to to minimize uh, and also yeah. that.
2: And Mike has done a great job in actually verbalizing it in the New England states. And you've taken the leadership in that, and that's I, I, I applaud you on that. That's a, you've done the right thing.
3: Because if you think about as a company like Syngenta and our even our competitors. Spending $286 million to bring a new AI to the marketplace, it takes about 10 years of development time. That's a huge investment by any company. And so the last thing we want to do is see it overused, and not managed correctly, and see resistance come up right away. We want to get the life of that compound through the 17 years of that patent. So we're very, very cognizant of that, and we're trying to keep ahead of the curve on that with our new chemistry. So.
1: Excellent. Thanks, Mike. P- appreciate your, your input there. Oh, thank you. Well, guys, um, you know, we got two experts here. Any other any other questions? Any other uh, insects you guys want to bring up while, while we have the two of you here? Any Anything, uh, you know, bring something value to the conversation here?
2: Actually, I'm going to bring up an insect that's not a turf insect. I want to talk one minute about winter moth caterpillar. Winter moth caterpillar in the coastal area of Maine down to Rhode Island has become a huge issue uh, because it's an introduced pest that has no natural enemy, and we we've, we've been doing work with Dr. Steve Ulm a good turf pathologist, but a pathologist entomologist, <laughs> and he's done some work with us uh, looking at uh, a sulperin for the control, and we can get some excellent control. We will be writing a a, a specific uh, control option with a sulperin for it. A sulperin is a great caterpillar control. We as low as one ounce per hundred gallons is given excellent control. That. That insect, to me, is very regionalized, but it's a major insect defoliating maples, oaks. Uh, so non-turf, non-turf. Non-turf. It's yeah. a non-turf insect that still has an economic impact on golf courses and lawn care and tree maintenance. In are we area. spraying foliage? Or are we spraying
1: the, the, best the, the soil?
2: The, the best control is right when the buds are opening when the, 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 the scales of the bud start opening and the insect can get into that, they feed before that bud totally opens. It comes out a skeletonized uh, uh, leaf. If you can get that application on just right before that, which will happen probably mid-April, uh, early to mid-April in the New England area, it's, you have to have a targeted application.
1: How are we making that application? As a spray, as a it's a spray. It's a foliar application. A foliar application yeah. to a it's, tree. It's tree.
3: Yep. A tree. No leaves yet. We're just spraying no those buds yet. and we're spraying yeah. the limbs and getting
1: What good kind coverage. of applicator are we using? We're certainly not using a ground spray. Well, usually, that's that. where
2: arborists come in. Well. Arborists, okay. Yeah, I would actually employ yeah. a good someone who has the ability because you can get 50, 60 foot trees be totally defoliated. Just like gypsy moth is a huge issue. This is a growing one, right? We want to nip it in the bud when we can, and we, we as companies, we could be leaders in that discussion. Excellent. It's maples, oaks, oaks uh, yeah. crab apples. uh It's, it's no, it's, it's, it's called. You it's, said it's, blueberry too. It's right? actually a huge uh, problem in the blueberry industry nope. because that's, it eats the, uh, the flowers, and it can definitely take down. So it's a it's on the target of entomologists. Uh, at, uh, it was discovered by the UMass entomologist, and it's uh, been heavily researched up and down. There was a talk today on the trade show and uh, the sessions on winter moth and gypsy moth. She did a fantastic job uh, giving that presentation. So. Well, it
1: sounds like a new emerging pest that we need to keep our eye on and, and focus on the symptoms and the control mechanisms and minimize its regional scope.
2: Is there any other insects you want to
5: mention?
3: Uh,
2: I could go on forever, but I think, I, <laughs> I, I think I'm good.
5: Actually, yeah. I'd like you guys to touch on uh, this one pest up here that's really starting to rear its ugly head. And I know that um, at the New England show, there's actually a conference, uh, or there's a, uh, they're speaking on it. It's on crane fly. Uh, hmm. Can you touch on crane fly and, and uh, just, just sure. tell us what you, what you think on that?
3: Yeah, so there's two main species in this area. There's a European crane fly, which has one generation a year, which is the most prominent one. That's found in this area. It's also found in the Pacific Northwest. Then we have the common crane fly, which has two generations a year. So that's an April peak and an October peak. So you have to be aware of which species you have. And it can be tough to identify as adults and larvae. So you really need an expert at the extension office to identify which species you have or you can tell by the generations per year, but crane flies are dipterans, they're flies, and they can get quite large as uh, larval flies, and they feed right at the interface in the soil and the turf, and they'll just feed on anything, organic matter, feed on the foliage. They don't really have chewing mouth parts, they kind of rasp the foliage, but they can have little circular spots of damage. Um, and they can be quite damaging in large populations in the fall. And so the best time to control crane fly, these are the European crane fly and the common, is in the fall time when their adults are laying eggs. So it starts around October 1st through November. If you put out an aceloprene application or Provant at that time, it controls those small larvae as it hatch from the eggs. So it's all about timing for crane fly also. But it's a, it's a devastating pest.
2: When the larvae get large, it's hard to control them. And, you, and when you kill them with a, uh, an adulticide, more or less, uh, an organophosphate, you have all these larvae lev- laying everywhere, and it's a
5: mess. So, yeah. For, for the audience, can you, you know what what do the adults look like? What do they most common look like?
3: Yeah, so they are pretty. Some people call them. <laughs> they look like big mosquitoes, but they're pretty large. They only have one pair of wings, and they have tears, little nubs sticking off the back of them. They have really long legs, kind of a brownish yellow color. Uh, they don't bite at all. They don't even feed as adults. They mate, lay their eggs, and they're done. They have a short lifespan, but they're pretty large. They're about you know probably five times the size of a typical mosquito. And they're not, very, they're not delicate like a mosquito. They're pretty hardy, pretty tough. You can see them come in the lights um, in the fall, and they're attracted to the lights, and they're, they can be a real problem. But it's not the adults we are trying to control against the larvae that cause the damage. So no reason to control the adult cranes. And flies. again,
1: target that in the fall, October, November. Yeah, but
3: November. The fall is the best timing for... The larvae
2: fly. or grubs are, are long and cylindrical, and yeah. they're, they have uh, on one end is uh, kind of like spines... Yep. On the other end is the feeding uh, mechanism. So, it's, once you see a, a, a crane fly larvae, you'll never forget it because it's one of the ugliest insects in the world. But uh, it is an issue. It's been an issue on Cape Cod for some time. Yep. Some golf courses out there have been battling it, and it's gone all the way up into Maine. So we have. I know in this area that we the most prevalent is the common crane fly in the, in the Massachusetts area, but when you get up to Maine, I think you can get some of the European. Excellent. By
3: the way, when those larvae get large, you know, you can fry them up a little bit of oil, they're quite tasty. <laughs> so it's a good protein source. <laughs> Just keep that in mind. I'm trying too. to cut my budget. There you go. <laughs> protein, buddy, protein. Low-carb diet.
1: Well, a new one to be on the lookout for. Any other uh, ABW questions, insect-related questions? Okay. Let's wrap it up uh, by just give us give us again, you know, the resources that turf managers have. Your website, all those types of things, so uh, that they can go to for you know one-stop resource to decide you, what to do. You,
2: we have two things you could do. We have a GreenCast Online app they could use for helping spray. Does all the calculations, uh, water volumes, nozzle selections. But the main one is GreenCastOnline.com. You can go there and access anything that we have in Syngenta for. If for training, we have uh, we have webcasts on all different types of topics. We have training videos. We have all the information that's been prepared to, for us by our researchers. of The blogs, a history of it for three programs, years. programs, yep, program, you program. Could, it So that's the one-stop shopping. Okay, I always say, call your, your if call your local sales uh, Syngenta representative in the field, and for personalized information. Or and, then, rep, right? and then, of course, yeah. sign up for,
3: for Track, right? Become a subscriber.
2: and You have to do that separately, that, so. but that's part of the process of going on Greencast online.
1: Well, it's good to know we have excellent resources out there. We appreciate both of you for joining us, Thank our you. audience. Great questions. And thanks again for tuning in for this uh, podcast episode of Turf Dudes, and we look forward to uh, you joining us again sometime in the future. Thanks, guys. Appreciate Thank it. Appreciate it. Thanks very much. Thank you.
0: Thank you. That concludes this episode of Turf Dudes. Dr. Agnew can be reached at 610-444-2063 or michael.agnew at syngenta.com. And Dr. Kofelt is available at 336-632-6199 or mark.cofelt at syngenta.com. To send Dr. Snyder and the Harrells Turf Dudes team your questions or comments or to be featured on an upcoming episode, reach out to us at Turf Dudes on Twitter or by email to turfdudes at harrells.com. You can subscribe to us on iTunes and Google Play Music or tune in directly at www.turfdudes.com.